Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California, this is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael, and today we are excited to have back on the show our friend Dan Moore, who has been on the show before talking about the Hermetic Kabbalah, alchemy. He's been on our magic panel, so we're really excited to have him back on because we find him very interesting and entertaining. Uh, he's going to be talking about one of our favorite topics, which is time, the metaphysics of time, however. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our broadcast. I'm afraid we're having to record today because we have some tech issues, but we'll be back to live streaming soon, and we definitely love the live uh, streaming more than we do the recording. But we have a wonderful guest in Dan. We didn't want to lose the opportunity, so we will upload this as soon as it's recorded. Um, you can get all the information on our upcoming shows on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-A-X-T-H, all spelled out. And while you're there, if you can afford to, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi. It really helps us with our production costs and, and so forth. And we definitely appreciate those of you who've contributed. So, um, And, you know, it's, it, we love having all of you. So even if you can't afford to contribute, come by. We've got 180 episodes now, some great topics if you go back on our channel. And we love doing these for just our own enlightenment and for our entertainment. So no plans on stopping anytime soon. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time today. So I'm going to kick it back to Krista. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thanks, Michael. And thanks for making this happen despite the tech difficulties. So welcome, Dan. Thank you. It's great to be back with you guys once again. And uh, I'm glad that I can be interesting and hopefully a little entertaining too. We think so. And I think other people do too. <laughs> Hope so. So let's, uh, let's begin. I know that you had some particular thoughts you wanted to start with about the concept of time. And one was the idea of it being both cyclical and linear. Yeah, there is. I, I have to say this, my background, uh, this will date me quite a bit. Uh, I was really smitten with the whole concept of time. What is time and all of this when uh, I went to the drive-in as a kid with my folks and we watched George Powell's uh, The Time Machine uh, with uh, Rod Taylor and Yvette Mimiu. And it really kind of put a hook in me. It was a, it was a great movie to be of the first ones. So I would... I have spent a lot of time looking at this and thinking about this and so on and so forth. Um, time for the ancients, at least, they saw it as being largely cycle-like or cyclic. And the reason for that is because you always had winter coming back and then you had summer coming back and spring will return and fall will return. And you had all these kinds of cycles that went on in nature uh, and they knew how to exist with nature when they would plant stuff when they would harvest it etc etc so that's kind of how they looked at it and then it wasn't till some time later that we begin to see an idea of a past present and future 
there are these societies like Egypt that had this continuity of what the society was for a very long time. So it's kind of like things didn't change all that much. Yes, they did change, but they didn't change all that much with regard to what the buildings look like and what their customs were and the language and the dress, etc. Now, today, we have our kind of idea of time being somewhat linear. There's the past that was, and we have our memory, which helps us recall it. And then there's the present, which we are in right now. And finally, there's the future, which is yet to be. And a lot of people fear it, although if you think about it, it's one of the few things we have a, kind of a lot of control over. So I began to think about this, and I said, well, you know, both of these points of view have merit, and they have their own degree or aspect of truth. And I was an amateur astronomer, too, when I was a kid. So while the planets are revolving around the sun in the structure of the solar system, the sun itself is moving basically very slowly around the, the center of the galaxy because the galaxy spins like a top. And so if we were to imagine that and we see a line coming off of the sun as it moves from point to point in space, that would be kind of a straight line. But the planets are circling around the sun. So if you track them, they don't leave a straight line. They leave a helix. Mm. And mm. this was one of the conclusions I came to before I saw a diagram that explained that the time was kind of helix shaped. There are these recurring cycles, but there's a kind of a, a progress, an overall progress that takes place that we might describe as somewhat linear. So um, when it comes to the whole uh, linear idea, and um, I mean, maybe the common man would would say, well, yeah, time does progress, you know, like just a common sense that we feel that time is progressing. Uh, but from the metaphysical, metaphysical point of view, I've also heard whether I agree with this or not, is that all we have is the present, the eternal now, or that that's the only real thing. And I, I have a hard time putting my mind around that in, experientially. Well, I think the way I understand that concept of the eternal present is a little bit different than uh, the life affirmation stuff where it says you need to live in the here and now, you know, live in the moment because, you know, the past was, the future is yet to be, and you can't be, you know, living in either the past or the future per se. You have to deal with life as it comes to you now. But the metaphysical or philosophic concept is, I understand it, of an eternal now is this fact that everything is a unity. It's an absolute fundamental unity with the source of being. But that implies a lot of different stuff. Uh, one of the things it implies is that past, present, and future are one thing. They're not lineal. And when you look at them all together, that's the eternal now, a kind of transcendence of this lineal uh, perception of what time is, and which, which I think is, is really an illusion. So that gives forth the possibility of maybe explaining how people have precognitive experiences, for example, and, and stuff like that, or maybe how other people can look back at the past to see what happened. Certainly a very famous uh, English historian, Arnold Toynbee, he said that's how he did a lot of his research about the past. He would simply imagine what it was like to be there and what went on and so forth. That's fascinating. Now, one of the things as a, throughout my um, life, I've often pondered the idea of um, 
focus in the present life. Since I was since I was young, I believed in reincarnation, and then of course I was introduced because of my father to um, the Seth material, which really kind of messes with your mind a lot. And um, one of the things I I thought about when I was preparing for the show is this concept of okay, if everything really is happening at once, which is in terms of physics, even possible, like it is a theory uh, that hasn't been proven, but it's possible. Why do you think in a particular moment, I feel I'm focused on this particular life? Like what I've, I've often thought, why am I focused on this moment? Like, why couldn't I be focused somewhere else? And that that consciousness working with time, it, it sort of just makes it's I find it interesting to think about that. I haven't come up with any ideas other than I like to think about it. Like, why is this moment important to me that I'm nothing much is happening in my in this life, it seems? And why am I so focused on being here now? So what do you think about that? Or do you have sort of a opinion about something related to that metaphysically? Well, when we talk about reincarnation, you know, the thing that always draws you back to be incarnated in this uh, presence in the time-space continuum in the physical world is some kind of a desire, right? And so your desires begin to focus your mind and your thoughts on all kinds of different things that are more or less connected with, with your everyday life and your hopes, your dreams, and with the basic necessities of life like making a living and all that other kind of good stuff. I think when we look back at some of these, and I'm going to borrow what might be an old hackneyed and trite term, but I think it's still very apropos taking the words at face value, is when we strive to have an expanded consciousness, and we'll call it cosmic consciousness. We try to be aware of everything, everywhere, all of the time, and we discover that there is a lot of things going on besides our perceptions for what is here now. And I have personally experienced that kind of thing where I have felt what is happening in different parts of the world and whatnot. And then I've wondered about stuff that I remember from my past and also some other things that have come to me, which seem to be these echoes of what they call far memory, right? Of previous incarnations too. And um, there are some people who like to play with that when they, you know, look at your past lives, they'll run you forward and say, what's your future life going to be like? And there have been some interesting experiences there. And they've had some commonality with some of the people who were in my circle at that time. So it was very interesting kinds of stuff as to why you're here. It's kind of like you accept the limitations uh, that are here of life. I like the thing about BOTA uh devil design of their tarot so you have this man and woman that are chained to the half cube that the devil sits on but the chains are not constricting around their neck they could easily lift those chains up and let go of them and we kind of accept our limitations and and whatnot and uh uh i think uh the devil one of the esoteric titles for that uh, charlie focused a lot on that i think is child of the forces of time if i remember well, that's, that's interesting. There's a couple other, since we're bringing up the tarot and Kabbalah, there are a couple other of the major arcana associated specifically with time. One people may not know is the hermit, who was originally at one point depicted with an hourglass. And then, of course, Saturn, who is the lord of time. And so that's the world card. And uh, Michael and I always joke 
around because we use um, you know Kabbalah and tarot to predict that we're time lords, maybe not very good ones because you learn to go back and forth in time. Whether you're correct or not, you're training your mind to do that all the time as, a, as someone that works with people um, doing predictions. Not everybody does, not everybody wants to do predictions, but we do, we, we get a kick out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in fact, the thing you mentioned about Saturn being there, if you take a little bit of a look at the entomology of the word itself, Saturn of the Latins was known as the Titan Kronos by the Greeks. And that's where we get our modern word chronology from. So here you have the origin of both Father Time and the Grim Reaper. And, and the, the, I mean, Saturn as a planet does seem to be a good, also we were talking earlier about the cyclical nature. And then, you know, the Saturn return is probably one of the the, the use, most useful cycles in a person's life, at least because it, it can happen three times in your life now fairly easily because people living long lives but it's long enough to see something happen so if it's like a very quick cycle you might not see the progress but with the saturn it sort of marks these periods of time for the human being to kind of examine uh even though you could also argue the planet venus has a very precise uh kind of energy because of the way it creates the star point in the sky as it's transiting which is really uh fantastic and I know that Venus is revered and Saturn in the Masonic tradition. Yeah, Venus uh, and the Sun are the only two planets that over an eight-year period draw a pentagram in the sky. And it's known as the pentagram of Venus. Um, for Saturn, there's interesting stuff with Saturn, though. Um, if we look at our Hermetic tradition, per se, is it the Kabbalah? Bina, which is understanding, is seen as the divine feminine. Yet a lot of people only see this kind of judgmental taskmaster type uh, aspect that's kind of masculine of, of Saturn. I mean, after all, all our judges are robed in black, right? <laughs> but there is actually a feminine transcendent aspect to Saturn. Bina is, um, has something called the Great Sea. And so here we go back to this whole idea of water and water being something akin to time in the sense that it takes on any shape or form, but it's this universal medium which has vibratory qualities to it that transmit both knowledge and force. So there's that, and of course the sea is a very feminine symbol, and then you have what is called in the grade system for the third order, that grade is known as master of the temple. A little bit of an interesting idea since it's connected with time and you have the highest aspect of the structure, the Kabbalistic structure of the soul, which is known as the Neshama. And that A on the end of it means it's plural, gives you a clue as to why the soul is referred to as her. And that part of the soul is both divine and immortal. Hmm. And our projections of that but we can come to a fully conscious awareness of it. And since Bina is the source of forms and shapes, it's the source of both time and space. Once you get to that level, then you have these things about the ascended masters and whatnot. It's an, an, a way of transcending both time and space, like Apollonius being seen in two places at the same time and stuff like that. It's interesting too. I think most people have had that experience of 
timelessness when you're so absorbed uh, into something that it that you have that you really don't even know that time has passed. I think particularly when I was young, it was easy to do that. Children seem to be able to kind of understand that moment of timelessness and uh, the past. You know, I find it interesting too how time passes, how we experience like during the pandemic. I thought those two years were the longest two years I've ever had. And then mm-hmm. other times I felt like a whole decade went by really quickly. So that that feeling and experience of time moving at different rates as a human being, I find kind of an interesting one. Yeah. And from the psychologist's point of view, they uh, attach that to your attention span. The longer your attention span is, the the more often that time will go on. And generally speaking, when you're a kid or little kids, their attention span is really short. And as you get older, it gets longer and longer and longer and longer, generally. So there is that idea, but that too provides a key to begin to touch this aspect, in my humble opinion, of cosmic consciousness, because that's what your goal of meditation is. Everybody gets into the technique part of it, the nuts and bolts, without really talking, well, okay, I do all this stuff, but what am I going to get out of it? What's the goal of it? And that's part of it to be able to merge your awareness with the perception of all consciousness everywhere, all the time, forever. And that's where you get into things like that. So I guess when I was a kid and I watched the time machine, my consciousness got merged with, gee, that's really interesting. Would it be possible to go into the future and the past and stuff like that? Now, it's also, since we're talking a little psychology, it's also interesting to see how some people tend to project into the future a lot in terms of their mind, and they have a natural affinity. Other people tend to be, and even sometimes stuck in the past through how they speak to you and, and also their focus on it. And and then, um, and then, you know, that idea of maybe wanting to integrate and balance it. But I personally have just noticed some people tend to just want to look ahead. Some want to look behind and yeah. at time. Yeah, you get that thing about, oh, the good old days. Or you get people who are always forward-looking, uh, a kind of Elon Musk kind of uh, attitude. Well, things are going to get better and this is going to happen and so on and so forth. So, yeah, you, you have that as well. And the thing is that once you begin to remove yourself from a kind of uh, flat plane, bowl over your head thing about our existence, because even when you're in a plane, that doesn't really change a lot. And you get into a rocket ship and you go off the earth or even to the moon, I guarantee you it is such an unlike life experience of anything else that you've had, it causes a form of initiation to take place. And I remember Rusty Swiker talking about that. When he looked back on the earth, he said, I realized it's not us and them. It's all we. Mm. I love and that. And that is the thing to come to the, the blooming of the, the the mystic flower, whether it's a rose or a, a lotus, doesn't matter. That's that's where your mind opens up. And time is an aspect of that. So what about the concept of time travel then, since you, as a young person, you were interested in it from the movie, and do you think it's something people do in terms of consciousness, like a yogi? Do you think it's something physical we will eventually be able to do? I think that there are various aspects to that. I think it's probably easier initially 
to do it in uh, your consciousness as a form of meditation or controlled visualization or something like that. But like we were talking about earlier, there's been some curious things found uh, in the world. I'm talking about physical evidence, uh, not these kinds of photographs that say, well, this might indicate time travel. Look at the pictures of these people. And some of that we talked about, um, there was uh, a discovery made in Texas on the fossilized mud flat where there's a lot of these, and you've seen them on TV now and then, these perfectly preserved uh, footprints of an allosaurus, which was tracking, uh, 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 what, is, what is it called? Anyway, like a brontosaurus, you know, and they find that stuff and they see actually see where the mud was furled up by its tail and so forth. But what a lot of people don't know is that as they've excavated around and they're looking for other stuff, some 80 feet away from that, they found these bipedal footprints and they're human-like footprints. The human foot fits in them perfectly. And they've actually taken those things apart uh, to see, did someone chisel the rock out or is it for real? And if it's for real, then the striations uh, of the sediment would be perfectly horizontal and you would see the depression of the foot cut into it but no the striations actually follow the conformation of the shape of the foot bottom <laughs> that's amazing which means they're real so how did they get there and there's a lot of other things like that uh there are all these what are called erratics and there's even been a couple of books written about it i can't remember the authors but one of the titles was forbidden archaeology where things have been found that are you know how do you explain this stuff uh, and because it kind of tears some holes in our whole perception of what the world is and how it functions. And the thing is, it's kind of conveniently overlooked by the larger, more widely accepted schools of thought in science, religion, or what have you. Fascinating. I love that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up, you mentioned it sort of a little bit when you were talking about Bina, is the idea of time-space. And, and how does that in terms of how you see it metaphysically, that concept, which I, I guess makes uh, our world more of a four-dimensional world because of the fabric of time-space. And I'm always a little bit fascinated listening to videos about the physics talking about it. And I understand some of it and some of it, of course, I don't. Depends on the physics person. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, to go back a little bit, H.G. Wells was the first word, first one to coin time as being a fourth dimension. The, the original author of the time machine. And uh, that's an idea that was picked up by the physicists and all the theor theorists who are mostly mathematicians for stuff like this. So Einstein, now this is where it gets interesting for me, all these guys, they didn't come to these things by writing the equations. They actually came to them by being inspired and looking at things in their imagination. Einstein did these things he called Gedanken experiments or thought experiments what would happen under this and that circumstance and so forth. And that is how he actually arrived at the whole idea of uh, that space and time were, were somewhat connected because. And subsequently to that, we've been able to do things like uh, have an atomic clock on the Earth and then a plane flying around at 30,000 feet. Since atomic clock is uh, measures such small intervals of time, like I think today they do billions of a second, they had these two atomic clocks in this one particular experiment uh, synchronized by a laser beam 
and they were perfectly synchronized on the ground and then the plane flies around for a little while and they come back and one is in the future a few uh, fractions of a second than the other one. So that they proved that, you know, you got kind of maybe a one-way trip into the future. But the thing about going into the past, we haven't quite figured that aspect of it out. But if one is possible, why wouldn't the other one be possible too? That's interesting. And and that, that point about it was only like one second. Maybe that is how time travel back will begin by a very tiny movement backwards. That Possibly. Because I always think of like this big leap. I, I don't think of, a, you know, maybe a lot of us from watching movies or reading books, like, I want to go back to see if Jesus was real. <laughs> yeah, things like that. So that's interesting, the the one second. And, and yes, if one works, the other one ought to, it seems like. If you can go into the future, you should be able to go into the past. Yeah, there was be there would, might be this symmetry. And um, so, you know, who knows? Physics is still arguing about all of that. <laughs> And uh, we uh, we will see what happens. Uh, you know, they get in. They their theories point them paint themselves into a corner with the conundrum where they have. Well, at the very beginning, there's the big bang, and then people start saying, "Well, what was there before that?" You know, and so you get a whole thing about multiverse, blah 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 blah. And it's wonderful mind stretching stuff, but you have the same kind of thing in following a mystical or magical path or tradition like was what we generally talk about. They've been speculating about that literally for thousands of years because the magic ingredient for all of it is consciousness. And you have people who have been exploring consciousness in Eastern and Western traditions for a great many generations. Now, another aspect of time, of course, is the musical side of the rhythm, which is a very hermetic concept. And and the idea of uh, the phrase being on time. And one of the things I have observed is when, for instance, you tend to respect something and act in accordance, you can have a different relationship with it. So if I'm someone that res respects and appreciates time and shows it in certain ways, however way you want to do it, certainly just by being on time, that you establish this link to time if you also consider time could actually be a being on some level, according to uh, Tarot, the Lord of Time, Saturn. It's an interesting title when you think about it, that mm -hmm. that time isn't this, you know, just a concept, but there's actually a Lord of Time. Yeah, and I think isn't, uh, I think if I remember right, um, you know, correct me if you're wrong, I'm wrong, that uh, the world of the universe card actually has two esoteric titles. One of them is Child of the Forces of Time, and the other one is Lord of the Gates of Matter. Now, that's interesting because they're, and in that, they have this, this kind of uh, agreement between space and time that they're kind of all put together, more or less, the, the same thing. So, uh, I think as you become more aware of it, you, you see what's going on, particularly the cyclic part of it. When I started out studying all this stuff, I remember taking an entire year, very long time ago when I was in my 20s, and just kind of watching what my psychic mood and emotional mood was like during the various quadrants of the year, what it was like in spring and summer, fall and winter. And it was very interesting to find uh, what distinguished those things. Uh, I'll only give one example. When the light began to increase from the sun, then I noticed... I was having more kind of paranormal and psychic experiences during that time than 
uh, at the nighttime of, of winter. I suggest everybody kind of take a little time to do take a little time to do that and, and find out those rhythms like you're talking about, because that's what the ancient Greeks used to call the music of the spheres. And yes, and, pe and there are people, uh, mystics, that actually hear that music. I'm always like really impressed, and they talk about how it's like nothing else you've ever heard, the music of mm -hmm. the spheres. Yeah, yeah, because everything, let's face it, even, even physics tells us this, everything has a waveform pattern. It has a vibratory signature of some sort. You and I do. Every constituent of our physical and our metaphysical vehicle does. And just like you tune into a radio or TV station, you have the ability through your awareness to perceive the other qualities of whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be physical. It can be a location. It can be an intangible like a thought or emotion or uh, a being, etc. Deity that you can share your consciousness or experiencing it up front because we're kind of like, uh, I don't know, we're, we're a connector, but in a way we're kind of like a cosmic tuning fork. Oh, I like that. Yes, a cosmic tuning fork. Now, oh, another yeah. uh, word I came across associated with time and definitely a more metaphysical view of time. I was listening recently to um, uh, Dr. Evan Alexander. He's talking about his uh, near-death experience that was extraordinary. Are you familiar with him? He, he was a doctor. I'm not familiar with him personally, but I've read a lot of, you know, near-death experiences. And, and he he, he had, people. I think, probably one of the most unusual ones because his his cortex, frontal cortex, was dead. And he, was, uh, he had this uh, encephalitis that should have killed him. And he, of course, didn't believe any of this before this happened. He had the most extraordinary near-death uh, experience that he remembered uh, visibly, but the fact that he could have this without any brain activity, right? And they proved it. He was that part of it. Uh, but he talks about that, like many of them do, that idea of evaluating that time you evaluate your life. And mm -hmm. um, he said he called it deep time in that you experience it. He felt he experienced it all at once. And, and from other people's point of view, though, was from, but I love that idea of deep time, that, that, because how could someone experience so much so quickly in, you know, because he wasn't dead for years, it, it was still only moments, but uh, I thought that was a, an interesting term, and I, and that's, I didn't really go any further with that, what he meant by it, but I, I thought maybe it would be a good point is to that, think is about. Is the gentleman who actually met his I don't know, his sister or sibling that she had passed on before him. And then he saw a picture of her later and said, that's the person that I. No, I don't think her. so. He, I, I, well, if he did, I don't remember that part, but he, he went on this, like, first he was in this sort of like, almost like he felt like he was an earthworm in this like kind of gnarly energy. And then this light, he appeared and then he went up through this, I guess there was a whole experience going up through the tunnel that he talks about. Then when he arrives to this place, there are all these people and he, he sees this, um, he's on a butterfly and he sees another woman on another wing of the butterfly. And he says like, everything is just so vivid there. And he didn't have any memory of who he was. He didn't know anything about 
who he had, he, he couldn't remember any, he just thought that was his existence in a sense. And, and I think there's a lot more to it. He's, you know, some, some of them seem to have better recall than others, which is, I guess that's true of everybody, you know, um, but I, I thought that whole idea of the deep time, but that's, as far as I know, maybe that also is included. I, I, that's the only part I know about the near-death experience. Yeah. Well, for us, and I think it is possible in a mystical, magical, metaphysical way to transcend the limits of time and space, and these people experienced that. And according to tradition, anyway, our predecessors, uh, like the ancient Egyptians and the Greeks and uh the Oriental Masters or whatever, had the ability to allow their pupils to experience something like that. So they would actually, for a short time, die and then come back with this kind of transcendent experience where, where they see all this stuff and experience it. And in some cases, there are some modern cases in which people came back with knowledge that they learned while they were dead, technically, that how did they come up with it? In one case, there was a guy in Singapore who uh, never learned to speak Mandarin, but when he came back, he could speak it perfectly. And he changed his uh, uh, career from being in law enforcement to being an interpreter. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the thing is, is that we have, just like the couple on the, the BOTA devil card, we've accepted certain limitations that have been accepted generally. And maybe that's the only thing that limits our experience uh, of reality because our awareness is kind of programmed to see it in a certain way, like we were taught in school and so on and so forth. But it would seem that at least now, more and more people are beginning to accept an idea that there's something beyond that. And um, as Stan Lee once said, you know, comic books or the modern fairy tales, and maybe that was the purpose of mythology anciently in order to begin to experience these transcendent aspects of ourselves because of that. Another thing I think about, again, this is more of the experience of time being even elusive on a practical level is when you travel and how you go into different time zones, your body has this jet lag experience. Yeah. And I, it seems weird that it has that, like, because technically, let's say I've only been on the plane for three hours, but I cross these time zones and mm -hmm. the whole time zone still kind of blows my mind a little bit. Like, you know, in New York, something's happening sooner than it is here. And it's still like, I, I don't understand how that's possible. <laughs> But it's not technically. It is. It seems like it is. It's not. We're we're so that part. I often think about too. How do how do we work with the time zone metaphysically? Well, I know um, what you need to recognize initially. Working with it is being able to accept the difference when you go traveling. Uh, but the longer the diff, the larger the difference is, I should say, the more it will affect you. But you have to recognize that you have your own kind of internal clock, which the technical term for it is a circadian rhythm, and that we are attuned to this. And if you go elsewhere where it's not, then that can kind of tend to, to affect you. But eventually, you know, you begin to resonate with everybody in the area where you are, and you overcome that feeling eventually. Some people take longer than others, but it's the kind of thing where, you know, 
in a certain area and this is the time that is lunch and this is the time that is dinner and this is the time to wake up and this is the time to go to work etc that that we have that kind of thing in a lineal point of time but you know if we were to um become an astronaut again and go out onto space uh, with that kind of heavenly or godlike point of view and take a look at the earth okay and we could see the earth revolving and we would see the shadow side of the earth and the lit side of the earth and there's that thin line that's called the terminus which is the in-between place and that very thin line is where the people living there depending upon where they are in the cycle of rotation either the sun is rising for them or it's setting for them and there are these two distinct zones but it's still the same sign i mean the same sun so in that point of view the sun is rising and setting constantly mm. <laughs> continuously all the time because now we have removed ourselves from a lineal concept of it and now we're looking at something that's a little bit more essential and in a way physic physically it's describing what we can experience uh, in a spiritual, soulful, mental aspect, however you want to describe it, uh, as uh, the eternal now. Now, time is different in space, right? I forget how. Well, it's different in space depending upon how close you are, one, to a gravitational object like the Earth or the Sun, and two, um, how far away you are. The idea is, is that light is what's carrying the information, so if you're a light year away, by the time that light gets here, they're looking at you a year ago. And if you had a telescope to see yours. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the idea for that there too. The closer you go to the speed of light, the more time slows down. And that was the thing about going into the future because time for you is running a little bit slower. And I forget, there's one of the astronauts that they did a little calculation and he's a, living about about a minute into the future <laughs> relative to the rest of us that's fascinating so um it it seems almost that time has different i don't know different dimensions almost in that the physical aspect of time in the body like the 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 biological clock versus the time connected to consciousness it's almost as if we time is obeying certain physical laws too and the more material things are then time itself almost appears material such as the aging process yeah there, i mean again for me the, the ultimate source of all of this and how we appear to ourselves and to everybody else has to be the essence of what you are and that's mental or spiritual, it's consciousness. So the more the consciousness accepts ideas like that, then uh, the more you're tied to it. And then we have these things, particularly in Judaism, and I imagine you could find them in other traditions, where they talk about a few people who knew God directly and transcended to be with God without experiencing death. They transcended death. They simply like vanished in a flash of light or what have you, or like some of the stuff we've seen in Star Wars lately, if you've been watching any of that, where uh, Luke turns into a whole mass of shining particles and floats away. I think the same thing happened to uh, uh, Odin in uh, the Thor movies and, and whatnot. 
So there is some record of this kind of thing uh, happening when the consciousness comes about and all of a sudden for that individual, they say, ah, this is it. I feel it and know it and so forth. And it has a literal physical transformation. I think that's true about Guru Padmasambhava in the Tibetan tradition. He never really died, but you can't see him unless you have a certain kind of, you know, wavelength going on, but that he's actually still alive somewhere and you could actually still interact on some level with the actual mm -hmm. Guru, which I only learned about recently. I, even though I heard about Guru Padmasambhava years ago because of my Tibetan Buddhist background, I said, wow, that's, that's cool. Now I want to find out how to meet him. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of these qualities for people who graduate into the grades of the supernal triangle of the tree, the master of the temple, the magus, which means magician, and finally then there's the epsissimus, which means the one who knows the self most. And when you know the self most, you know everything is one, and this is not just your body. It is an aspect of your body, but your true body is everything, everywhere, all the time. You just use this flesh, blood, and bone for the purposes of incarnation. And eventually, you will transcend that the more you go on this path of the heart and bringing out the never-ending, uncreated light, which is what they call in Hebrew, the Ain Sulfur, uh, to bear, to, to be manifest, to be realized. Now, one of the other aspects of time that many people want to know and experience is the idea of timing and how when we experience flow, we appear and are often at the right place at the right time. And that is, and, and, and everyone's had that happen more than once, even if they don't call it that. And that, I love that idea of flow and synchronicity and how that makes us feel, and, and we really are, more in harmony with our world. Yeah, I I don't expect anybody to believe me and whatnot, but the more I've gotten into this, the more that is happening in my life, in the sense of uh, things have never really been better. We've been taken care of. I've done things just in the recent past that all of a sudden are necessary for what's happening right now and that kind of thing. So you can develop uh, an expanded awareness such that you are functioning in this harmony with what everything is going on. Paul Foster Case called this, you know, the the will of the eternal, the one true will, and that comes directly from, from uh, uh, Jewish mysticism, that there is, everything is functioning in accordance with that will, and the more you realize what it is, and you resonate yourself with it so that you kind of behave in harmony with it, the more these kinds of coincidences, which I don't believe exist at all, <laughs> occur to you or to groups of people or so forth. Well, that constant, the concept of resonant is actually how time is, is kept with watches, with the quartz, the resonance yeah. and the frequency that quartz holds those resonances literally it's 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 actually proven that there is a resonance i i do feel a little bit 
uh, that there are people in the spiritual community that really misuse that concept of vibration, though. And, and they, uh, for instance, I, I heard someone recently talking about you had to have a certain vibration to see the reptilians. And I just happened to be watching that lately. And uh, and, and kind of putting people down. And yeah. I, I, my experience personally of meeting what I would consider highly evolved people would never, never did that. In fact, what they would do, they would raise me up just being around them. I would find that I would naturally, better things would happen being around them. But I, I honestly never heard one of them say something like, Krista, your vibe is off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this is, this is, what are we, what are we trying to do here? Uh, think of it like an orchestra, okay? And each of us is an instrument to that. So there is our, our, our waveform pattern, our vibratory signature. And when you resonate with everyone together, there is this wonderful synergy called harmony that takes place. So we make music. And if you don't, it's just noise. So is it a resonance? Or is these people about a dissonance? And you're right. There are people who do not appreciate the positive aspect of doing stuff like this. And frankly, if they were to sit back, because this is one of the things I did too when I was a younger person, I looked at people who had a negative attitude, which unfortunately is a great many people in this world. And then what was their life situation like? What was their health like? And so on and so forth. And then you look at people, the few, that have a positive attitude about things, and what was their health like? And their life situation, whatnot. Kind of like night and day. So there's the approach to it all, you know. Uh, it, it's the old thing about, well, is the glass half empty or half full? And it's true, and, and it's interesting for me. Uh, I recently was, who is it? I was reading about, oh, the Sabian symbols, and the woman, now I'm forgetting her name, but the woman who channeled these symbols in astrology was uh, a real medium, and um, the astrologer picked her out, uh, because he thought she would be really an excellent person to do it. But what was amazing about her, a little bit I read about her life, was she was wheel-bound her whole life with this terrible rheumatoid arthritis. And it was like, you know, late 1800s, 1900s, so there wasn't a whole lot. And then she'd had a terribly tragic, oh my God, the things, the people that died in her life, and she was an orphan. But she had this amazing attitude. She was, um, she spent most of her life in this particular a home for somebody that's disabled. And she was always trying to cheer people up. She always had a smile on her face. She would say there's always something meaningful in your life, no matter how bad it is. And boy, she had it a very difficult life, but she really found the spiritual depth in her and everybody. So she was like written when she died in her fifties, she was written about in the newspaper. She was living in San Diego at the time and everybody commented on how she was such a positive person. And I, I was, I felt touched by her. It's like, oh my God, how did she manage to do that? <laughs> so it was her attitude. It was that sense of, you know, going deep in inside of herself and finding, uh, she was a very spiritual person. Uh, I forget mm -hmm. what group she belonged to, but, but that yeah. attitude. And we all have that potential, you know, uh, to, and, and I would have to say with current situations in the world today at this point in history there are all these external pressures which are forcing us to behave like human beings to each other 
mm-hmm. to value each other and to try and take care of each other because there isn't any other way to be. We try and be any other way and well, look what we got, <laughs> you know? It's an interesting uh, point. The time that we're in is challenging how we support each other. And I agree with you that the structures we have been using are not holding up and we have to rethink and regroup and work more together. I, I completely agree with you with that. Uh, so yeah, this particular era. We have to grow and evolve. And we've been ignoring that. You know, what we're doing stuff like they were doing, you know, uh, 50 or 100, 150 years ago, they're holding me on to attitudes like that. And that will not serve us. It just won't. As the human species goes, you know, our, our value system needs to grow and evolve. Our political social structure needs to grow and evolve. The way we treat the environment and live with it needs to grow and evolve and so on. And nature will force these issues upon us until we wake up or we start all over again. Like that cyclical time idea. Oh, yeah. Because um, the, the earth is a living being. It's a living, breathing being. And it's a super organism. We all live inside of it. And because of what we're doing, we're like infecting it and we're giving it a fever, literally a fever. And what happens when you get a fever in your body? Well, your body starts to work to get rid of all those little creatures, the pathogen that is causing you to be sick. The earth will do it to us too if we don't wake up and begin to behave. Do you think that some people think this is a, a repetition of the Atlantean times when they had like technical... Uh, civilization, they ended up destroying themselves. Well, maybe. I've read some stuff that this asteroid belt uh, that we have between Jupiter and Mars was a planet itself once upon a time. In fact, interesting thing is there's a lot of chunks of ice in that. And that planet was destroyed by uh, the people on it, which maybe have been us, uh, the life wave, not growing up and doing the right thing. And so uh, the whole planet's gone now. I've read that kind of stuff too. Maybe so, maybe not. But the warning is still there and we have to pay attention to it because uh, what's happening on now a larger scale is what happened on Easter Island on a very small scale. Mm-hmm. And they cut down all the trees and there was all of this competition between the various groups and so forth. And no, we know what's right. No, we know what's right. And you see what happened. They, they went through a time where they starved and they, they turned to can- cannibalism. It was so bad. Oh, I don't want to do that. No, we shouldn't do that. But look where we're going. Time is of the essence. Exactly. That's a nice legal term to mean you can't put stuff off anymore. You've got to grow up and be real and face the situation and do something serious about it. Now, not tomorrow, uh, not a year from now, or let the next generation worry about now. And well, and that's that a temptation with if you get too into the, the the philosophical view of time is if if someone uses it negatively to say, oh, you know, time doesn't exist and we are all one. And it, what does it really matter? You can get too detached, it seems like. I've met a few people like that. Yeah, well, I would suggest that they, they don't understand what they're talking about because uh, you're connected with everything. Like I said, you know, this is only a part of your body. If you really sit down and think about this aspect that everything is absolutely, literally one, what does that mean? 
I mean, it means things like you are alive in me and so is everybody else that ever was, is, or will be. And the same is true for you. Now that's got to wake us up. It's a head twisting, you know, mind boggling kind of thing. But at the same respect, I have every confident expectation that it is the truth. And that's not just true about the humans. It's true about the humans with the land, with all the other beings, whether they're trees or animals or the water or space itself. We are one with it. And that's where you need to be. People want to be disconnected from this stuff. They don't want to have their responsibility. And that's why in Kabbalah, you know, you always have Malkut. Your feet are always on the earth and your head might be up there in the light, but you're supposed to be a connector. You're supposed to be bringing this down for mm. the benefit of everybody else so that the world gets better and you lift them up. Mm -hmm. I mean, in Buddhism, that's the same thing. The Bodhisattva hesitates to go into Nirvana and become full Buddha because he sees what we're all doing to each other. And he says, I can't do this when you people, you brother and sister human beings don't understand that the bliss, the understanding, the healing and the love and the light is in front of your nose. And you choose to ignore it. Yes, they put off their enlightenment deliberately, the bodhisattva. Yes. Right. I've and also read why. accounts with um, in Buddhism where there is this uh, misperception that if you get to a certain point, you don't feel things. You actually feel more, but you just don't hold on to it. That compassion helps you to have that empathy towards the butterfly or the tree it's it's that it's a more fluid state you don't attach yourself to it so it flows through you so you actually can you you, you can't turn away because you're yeah, one no. with that you 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 have to find something to do with that energy that's at least what i've read and also experienced sometimes myself when i have felt more connected is right. it's, it's you can't turn it off but you can let things flow through you and and experience it that way so you're not you're not necessarily in pain yeah well there's there's that aspect of that eternal now the eternity you know the, everything is one and it's alive and you have the ability to know and experience it and that's the idea because then compassion all compassion means is to suffer with to be able to appreciate someone or something suffering to feel it and then hopefully want to do something about it to be part of the solution, to be a healer. You know, that's, that's the idea of compassion. Now, what do you think about that concept people have put out there that time is moving faster and is it really moving faster or are we in a speedy world because of all the technology that moves so quickly? I think it's a, it's a perceptual thing. Uh, I mean, you know, if you go back 100 years, things didn't move quite as fast. And there are some cultures that value, you know, a, a slower approach to life. And just south of us, they have quite a wonderful tradition called the siesta in Mexico. <laughs> you know, it's time to take a little nap and just relax for a bit and not be all so uptight and whatnot. But here we have this thing about got to do this, got to get this done. Hurry up, waste time. Just like, you know, the, the musical from Broadway, hurry up, waste time. And why do we have to do that? You have to sit back and enjoy life and smell the roses and maybe unplug yourself from your cell phone that's surgically attached to your hand in your head and, and begin to appreciate life without trying to vicariously experience it 
through a phone or TV or whatever. You know, just go out there and experience it firsthand. I mean, you know, you can't vicariously eat food or drink water. You have to experience it firsthand. Treat it like that. It's a wonderful gourmet experience. Yeah, Michael and I, we get inspired by bird naps. Birds are really good at the whole short naps. And Mm -hmm. one of the things about birds, at least certain birds, um, they age really well. And I'm sure some of it's the diet, but like uh, even my old crow, she still looks beautiful. Her feathers uh, and my oldest finch was 11 when he died and he he looked maybe a little bit old, but I've often wondered at that. They they don't age the way humans age. Uh, and I I thought, well, maybe it's also the bird naps. Yeah. They and take a lot of little those, naps. Those, those wonderful Galapagos tortoise that, that are three and four hundred years old, for example. And in fact, uh, see, this is one where we talked about, just to digress a little bit to our, our discussions in alchemy, that was one of the promises about uh, being able to uh, live longer than the regular period of lifetime, and whether that meant direct transcendence or not. But for everybody listening out there, go to Google and type in immortal jellyfish, and you'll find a lot of stuff in there about not just certain kind of jellyfish, but all other kinds of animals that are very long-lived, and even trees. But the curious thing is, all the stuff that they have in their metaf- in their physiology we have in our bodies too. So who's to say that at some point that activates in a certain way to preserve rather than decay you? I'll have to tell you something. My wife likes to watch Dancing with the Stars. Cheryl Ladd was on it, you know, the original Charlie's Angel from way back when. That gal's 71 and man, her face might look a little bit like it, but she moves like she's half her age. And she looks at too. Uh, you see that with, uh, I've met some Tai Chi masters like that, uh, that they're so uh, limber and energetic and even more so than even people in their 30s. And depending on what race they're from, because sometimes the Chinese do age well with their skin, but still they looked older. But other than that, they they could be in their 30s easily in terms of their energy and ability to do things. Yeah, it's it's all your mental approach about life as to what, you know, time is wearing on me and I'm getting old and all this. I remember one gal who hadn't had a uh, given birth to a child. She goes, my biological clock, it's running out, you know. You get into this kind of a thing. So there are these people, there was this lady in France who I think she passed away at the age of 114. She had to stop riding a bike at 105. She went through two world wars, uh, first one and second one, right? because she was in France. And I'm sure, I think she lost a child or two, which is an incomprehensible mm. uh, loss. And she smoked a cigar and drank wine most of her life. 114. Yeah, there are more stories, ever- more stories like that. Isn't it the approach, you know, isn't mm. it the approach that you have to it? Again, is the glass half empty or half full? And on that note, we are running out of time, as they say. So thank you. Time in a bottle, like the old song goes, right? Yeah, there's so many of those phrases with time. I almost was going to make a list of them, but then we'd have no show. But thank you for coming (laughs) back, Dan. It's my pleasure. I enjoy visiting with you folks anytime. Uh, I have quickly uh, a few videos that are very short, about 10 to 13 minutes on YouTube if anybody wants to know about them where they explain the scientific aspect of 
time and then some of that fun stuff about photos which supposedly are things that are out of time uh, my uh, email address is on the website you know you can write to me and i'll be happy to send that stuff back to you and there's a lot of other fascinating stuff on there so great thank you for sharing that and thank you all for listening join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together have a wonderful week <laughs>